What do you mean? I don't have a piss-stained brown jacket. Hello, hello. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. How are you? I'm great. I'm in sunny London. It feels like spring. Oh, going to ask me how I am? How are you? I've got COVID. Yeah. You sure you want to tell everyone that? <laughs> well, I'm on the I'm on the last legs of it now. Obviously, you've been here the whole time and you're all right. And I was pretty shit yesterday, but feeling much better today, guys. I just might sound a little bit funny, that's all. Well, the thing is that COVID, it's honestly, no one cares anymore. <laughs> no one cares. They don't. No one cares. You can't even tell your doctor because your doctor doesn't care. The doctors don't want to know. Yeah. Do not call us about COVID is the message on my doctor's answering machine. But the thing is, no one cares about COVID. You can go in and out of the country. You don't need a test. You don't need anything. Literally, COVID is a non-starter. No (laughs) one cares anymore. And about bloody time, I say. Anyway, so I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome to Eavesdropping One and All. I'm Geordie. I'm Michelle. And you are... are (laughs) eavesdropping <laughs> on us yes, as we are. chitty chat away all sorts of rubbish sometimes factual we try and be factual don't we michelle we try and get things right well i hope we i hope i've got things right today this week because we've got some gruesome stuff coming up it's true crime today isn't it it is true crime mm. it is but first of all i wanted to give a shout out to jen oh my mum, jen the hen long-suffering mother <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Poor Jen. We we talked. Okay. She never rings me. I always have to call her. But we we talked, and she said, "Oh, are you into Wordle?" And I said, "No, Mum, I don't. I don't know about Wordle." She said, "Well, Canberra apparently is the world's capital for Wordle." Oh. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what Wordle is, it started off as a word game developed by this guy for his girlfriend who liked word games. Five letters. You've got five chances to get the the word. Yeah, now the New York Times have bought it up. So you only play it once a day and you can share your stats and connect with other people. It's gone viral. And who had to tell me about it? My mum, Jen. She is way ahead of the game with the hipsters. She's got a beret on down the cafes of Canberra on the Wordle. Well, I told you, she's she's got some handle. I don't know this for sure, but it's She's got a handle. Are you allowed to say it on air? Well, I don't know what it is, but it's something like... Punk rock gran. (laughs) Jazzy. Jazzy Jen. No? (laughs) It's something like... I don't know. I'm making this up, but it's something like Jen the Hen 89. Is it? Or something. And I'm like, mum, you do realise, I think... You're 89 years old. Well, no, that she was born in 89. Oh. <laughs> so so she she gets a lot of chitty chats oh, from uh, So it's like a hit-up place as well. Like you can hit on people. You can get dates out of Wordle. Is it like a matchmaking thing? Well, don't you remember Words with Friends? I don't remember. Words with Friends. You used to be able to connect with people. I know two lesbians who got married from meeting on Words with Friends. Oh, and don't amazing. you remember we were watching Bad Vegan first episode yeah that's how she met her dude words with friends so oh. really yeah so they're all opportunities all online opportunities just don't put a unicorn amazing speaking of unicorns oh we actually have 
have an episode. I'm going to dedicate this episode to Al Taggart, but we'll get to that later. I was just going to say something about phones and how reliant we are on them these days, because obviously, you know, that something happened to me earlier in the week and my phone went missing. And I thought I was charging it, Michelle. I haven't told you the full story of what happened. I thought I was charging it in my bedroom. But somehow when I was downstairs in the morning getting the children ready for school and everything, my husband said, oh, you're calling me. And I said, no, I'm not because my phone's upstairs charging in the bedroom. And he said, well, (laughs) somebody with your phone is calling me. And then he answered it. (laughs) And it sounded like somebody was walking around. Now... Another thing I didn't tell you, Michelle, was that the day before that, I opened mm. our crawl space, which, as you know, my bedroom's in the attic. I opened the crawl space. Paddy had just put in some old mattresses and things that he'd found at his dad's house in there. And I opened it up and I was overcome with the smell of wee. And I, in oh. front of me was this jacket, like a brown suit jacket. It wasn't mine. I'd never seen it before. And it looked like it had been absolutely chomped on by mice or rats or something. It stank and it had holes all over it, chompy marks oh all over God. it. So I took it downstairs. I said, I don't know where this has come from. That's right there. It looks like we've got mice or rats and threw it out into the bin. So that was what happened on the Sunday. On the Monday when I'd lost my phone, yeah. my daughter and I went upstairs and she said, Mum, somebody's in our attic. I can <gasps> hear footsteps. Somebody is using our attic to live in. And they've got your Oh, phone. my God. <laughs> and, they've got a sti- and they've got a stinky moth-eaten jacket that they've pissed on. Oh, my God. So she was freaking out saying, get dad, get dad. I was like, no, that's oh. ridiculous because my phone was not charging next to – I ran upstairs and it wasn't there. I was like, oh, my God, that's weird. And so my daughter's saying, oh, my God, somebody is living in our crawl space next to where oh. you sleep, mum. So I, I looked in there again and ye- yelled and no one was there. And yeah. uh yeah, then we went back downstairs and did find my iPhone and found it in the washing machine going round and round. Oh. But I wonder if that jacket was yours because you have got some clothes up in my crawl space, so we ought to have a little look in there and see what you've got still. What do you mean? I don't have a piss stained brown jacket. Well, it may not have been like that when you put it in, Michelle, but perhaps I do have rats. Oh, my God. We ought to have a look there later. But at least the rats had a good munch all winter. Well, I just hope that's all they've eaten, not all my photos and my swimming suits and my duvets, my Christmas decks. Oh, Jesus Christ. I actually think I've got some interesting things up there too. Maybe Um, not anymore. Maybe not anymore. (laughs) Blimey. Apologies if that's the case. Apologies. Well, no, when you were telling that story, I kept thinking of, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, Mm. Bad Ronald TV movie from the 80s. Bad Ronald, when you find somebody hiding in your house. Yes, in between the walls and they're spying on you with a little peephole. We've been talking about this a lot. We had to explain to your daughter the difference between pervert and pervert. Pervert, the course of justice. Yes, we did, yeah. And he's a dirty old man pervert, yes. And, you know, it's all connecting to men living upstairs. No, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, please don't say that. But you know what? You would know if someone was up there. Would you know? Geordie, there's only one way in and one way out of that bedroom. Well, there's two ways because the house is a semi – is a – Terraced how? It's a semi-terraced. Oh, my God. They're getting in through the roof. Yes. (gasps) No. Oh, Jesus. Well, you know, it's funny that we're talking about this, Michelle, because I've got a story for you today. It's true crime. 
So this this happened in an area called Driffield in East Yorkshire. So it's not my hometown. It's someone's hometown. I know Yorkshire a bit because I had an ex-boyfriend from up there. But I don't know Driffield. Although maybe I went horse riding there once. It does sound familiar. Okay. okay. Keep going. So there's this lady called Laura Sugden. She was 22 and pregnant at the time. And her partner, Shane Gilmer, who was 30, and they lived next door to a troublesome neighbour called Anthony... Lawrence, a.k.a. Tony. 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 The couple had made complaints to Tony, Lawrence's landlord, (laughs) about loud music and the smell of cannabis wafting into the couple's asthmatic daughter's bedroom, you see. Now, can I just tell you, this was Jen's life. For, until she re- moved, you know, she had she had people upstairs who they would play loud music. Oh, they man. had their pit bull barking at all hours of the night. They had two kids up there. All you could smell was weed and cigarettes. These poor Yuck. children. I mean, awful. And, you know, Jen, good on her. She was always complaining. But I said to her mum, you've got to be careful because these people, they can they can kill you. They can murder you. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. Troublesome neighbours and they don't like being ratted oh, on, do they? Not Rats. That's a theme of this episode, rats. So anyway, poor old Jen, she got she picked up her panties and went, did she? She just left. <laughs> Jen, you've got to pick up your panties and go. Pick up your panties and go, Jen. Pick up your panties and go. You don't need that. Leave the kids behind. Pick up your panties and go. But what happened to poor old Lady Sugden? What's her name? Laura Sugden. There'd been so many disputes between the neighbours. It resulted in Shane, her boyfriend or partner, being threatened by Tony Tony Lawrence with an axe and horse manure being dumped in their garden on more than one occasion. So this guy was <gasps> not having it. Tony was not liking it. He was going to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. Screw your... Well, that was a bit like Jen. She got the pit bull shit like thrown down into oh, her God. garden and placed on her garden table. Oh she my went God! Through a lot, poor lady. I really hope that this lady's outcome isn't isn't scared, too scary. Because not not saying it could have been you, Jen, but could have been you. Anyway, what's Michelle, happened? This is a true crime podcast, and most of the time, I mean, you have told stories in the past about a woman keeping thirty dead cats in their freezer. So let's see what happened to Laura. Oh no, Loz, what's happened? Eventually, Tony Tony Lawrence was served with an eviction. I'll stop doing that, Tony. I like it. I like the way you do accents. <laughs> Tony. But I will stop now because it's 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 throwing me off, and it's quite a serious story. It's a serious story. This is a comedy podcast, by the way, but this is a serious story. So eventually, Tony was served with an eviction order, being told it was for renovation works to the property to protect Shane and Laura. So he wasn't in the know that they had complained so much that he was being evicted, basically. He was told something different. Okay. But Tony, here it comes again, smelled a rat and (gasps) he put surveillance equipment into his neighbor's houses house so he could hear what they were saying about him i'm sorry that's illegal i know no, that's not allowed let, let wait till you hear the end of the story this guy doesn't care he yeah. doesn't care what's okay. illegal <laughs> he's the guy smoking cannabis and blowing it all over their child and whatnot anyway mm. so he they didn't know but he'd installed listening devices in their home and then he somehow well through listening to them discovered that they were actually responsible for his eviction 
his <gasps> upco- upcoming eviction. So he went mm. about, Michelle, planning a devastating act of revenge. Oh, dear. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared already. Yeah. It's Do scary. we need triggers here? Possibly. I'll trigger you. Trigger warning about <laughs> if you don't like the idea of revenge and violence, then tune out. <laughs> but this woman, listen, she told the story. Right. This is from her own words, Laura Sugden. So she's okay, but traumatic. One night in January 2018, Laura and Shane had just returned from a night out. And as they walked into their, for some reason, they went into their daughter's bedroom. She mustn't have been there. I'm hoping that the kids were at the grandparents for the night. They got a shock. Having a sleepover. Having a sleepover. They got a shock to see their neighbor, Tony Lawrence, standing there. In their house. Yep, he'd broken in through the adjoining roof space in the loft, just like we were talking about earlier, Michelle. No. Going, it oh, can happen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he was aiming a crossbow at them. What? Yep. Who has that just handy? I mean. You'd be surprised, Michelle. <laughs> your husband for a start. Not my yeah. husband, thank God. He's got a machete, <laughs> but that's all. <laughs> Shit. So anyway, Lawrence, Tony, Tony Lawrence, he shot Shane Gilmer. In the arm. The bolt, now they call it a bolt. It's actually the arrow, but it's called a bolt probably because it is being fired at such high velocity. It's like a bolt. Oh, like a bolt gun. Boom. Trigger warning. It passed right through his right arm and broke a rib, damaged his liver and kidneys as it embedded in his spine. So poor Shane, he's down and out, right, on the floor. Lawrence, Tony Lawrence is shouting at Laura to get Shane's phone out of his pocket. So she did. And then Tony Lawrence stamped on the phone as Lawrence screamed at him. What have you done to him? What have you done to Shane? And Lawrence mm. told her she was next. No. Yeah. Fucking hell. This is revenge. He yeah. was out of his mind with revenge. He fired the crossbow at her and hit Laura in the top of the head. <gasps> but she pulled the arrow out. And that, at that same time, Lawrence jumped on her, knocking her back onto her back, onto the floor. He grabbed the arrow and try, was trying to jam it in her throat. Oh, my And God. she just knew in that moment that if he manages to get that into my neck, I'm a goner. That's it. Game over. She's pregnant oh. as well. She's lying on the ground. She's begging him for her life, telling him she's pregnant. But he said, she's not leaving till she's dead. So what does Laura do? She stopped struggling and played dead. How do you just play dead? I don't know. Don't kill me! Ah! Dead. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's It's a bit weird. weird. When you think about it like that, yeah, it is. But Lawrence must have thought he'd finished her off, so he loosened his grip and then ran away. So she did sustain some pretty gruesome injuries, throat and neck. Shane was lying injured on the bedroom floor in a terrible state. So Lauren goes over to him and he said, just go run, get safe, get the baby safe, get out of here. So she ran from the house to a neighbor. They called the police, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, Tony Lawrence is on the run. So they don't know where he is. So she is taken to hospital, as is Shane. Sadly, Shane passed away. From his injuries? Yes, he didn't make it. Oh, my God. He didn't make it. So she's got no father of her baby now. No, and she's like three months. I can't remember how pregnant she was. But at this point, she's in hospital being treated. Armed response teams launch a manhunt for the former squaddy. He used to be a squaddy, this guy, Tony Lawrence. And Mm. while Laura and her unborn baby were cared for under armoured guard in hospital, the police were out there searching for him. Not sure if he was going to come back and finish the job. Well, you know, he sounds a bit psychopathic. Like Unhinged. Revenge and drunks and whatever. Yeah. Did I say drunks? Drugs. Drunks. <laughs> so two days later, they found him dead from an overdose in a caravan. Oh, see? 
drugs. Yeah, he did kill himself in the end. I don't know if it was on purpose. Probably. I don't know. Maybe he realised what he'd done and sobered up. I don't I think no so. Idea. I have no idea. No, I don't think so. Because he's not here to, to speak for himself, so you don't know. But Laura said that she would not be alive today if Lawrence had not been fooled into thinking she was already dying. Yeah, right. But how? That's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. It is It is a bit strange. But yeah. I mean, quick thinking, I guess, from yep. her. But since then, Michelle, she's launched a campaign to outlaw crossbows being sold over the counter. You said earlier, who's got one of them lying around? You can buy them in a shop, Michelle. Yeah, I guess people just, they're not thinking, oh, it's a murder weapon. This dude's just bought a murder weapon. They're, they're, they're thinking, oh, he's just bought a crossbow to have oh, a little bit kill of some, some jolly japes. Some yes. jolly japes outside, I don't know. What will know. he be doing with that? Who knows? But oh, crossbows gosh. are actually responsible for many attacks as recently as 2021. In February 2020, sports therapist Terence Wall was jailed for life after killing Gerald Corrigan at home in North Wales in what was described as a medieval-style execution. It's very medieval. So Mr Corrigan, who had previously worked as a lecturer in photography and video, was found with a crossbow bolt in his chest and died of his injuries one month later while being treated in hospital. Then in 2019, this is a horrible story, and I'm not going to go into it deeply, but I do remember when it happened. There was a cold-blooded crossbow killer who shot his heavily pregnant ex-wife in an act of revenge, and he was jailed for life. Mm. In 2018, the son of Mark Waterfall shot his father's GP with a crossbow in Watford, Hertfordshire, because he blamed Dr. Gary Griffith for the death of his father four days earlier in hospital. And before he shot him, he told the doctor, you killed my father and I'm going to kill you. Jesus Christ. So Mr. Waterfall was found guilty of attempted murder. So obviously the GP made it, but he was jailed for 20 years. It's got to stop. Got to stop, Michelle. It has got to stop. Bloody hell. All right, no more crossbows. No more crossbows. <laughs> That's it. Done. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Oh, well, thanks for that amazing story. But it's just, you know, kind of looking into what happens in the attic. How do people get in your attic? They're crawling in. Yeah. They could be living there. You once told me a story that a guy moved into somebody's house and sold it yes. on holiday. Yeah, I mean, look, people are, are becoming more and more ingenious the more desperate they get. Yeah. And, you know, there's inflation, there's there's all sorts happening right now, there's shortages. You're going to see more desperate behaviour. Real life. Real life. True crime. True crime. True life. Supernatural. So, well, as I referenced earlier, this I'm going to dedicate this uh, hometown murder to Al Teggett, who likes a Canberra murder. He loves a Canberra murder. He does love a Canberra murder. I don't think he actually loves a murder. No, I think let's he, say he doesn't love that. No, <laughs> no. So, last year, back in 2021, uh, there was a case that received a lot of media coverage in Canberra because... It marked the 50-year anniversary of the murder of 20-year-old Karen Rowland. No, I'm not saying Karen with a New Zealand accent. You're saying Her Karen. name is Karen. Like Karen uh, with an E. Bananarama. They had a Karen, didn't they? Did they? They had Siobhan, a Karen and a Sharon or a Sharon or a... Siobhan. No, Siobhan. Siobhan? Siobhan. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm not mispronouncing it. It is... Karen, just so yep. we get that clear. That's a name. Here. It's a name. But I'm just going to dive right in and give you the facts of the case. Okay. So before I do that, I'm going to reference that most of this information comes from 
the really extensive research and investigation that a brilliant Canberra journalist called Nicole Overall put together. I'll put some links to her work in the show notes for anyone anyone who wants to go more in depth on this case. And we get accused of not doing this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to give a preemptive trigger warning. Okay. For anyone who's not into true crime or who doesn't want to hear about gruesome details. Yeah, gruesome details. So you've been warned, people. You've been warned. So on Friday, the 26th of February in 1971, 20-year-old Karen Rowland, she finished her shift as a receptionist at the Prosser Pool in Deakin. What's that? It was a pool that was Canberra's first heated pool. And it was put together by Olympians who needed a place to train. And then it became open to the public. So it, it was quite a... A well-known pool. Mm. I never went there because I was on the wrong side of town. Wrong side of the tracks. Freezing cold Dixon. That's where we would go, Dixon Pool. Because we were on the north side and Deacon is in the in the south side. And she was picked up by uh, her younger brother, Steve, and a female friend who, in Nicole's research, Nicole had changed names and called her Maureen. So we'll call her Maureen. Hmm? Why are we changing names? Well, because this is still, and I don't want to give too much away, but this is still an open case. Okay. And a lot of the details have not been revealed to the public. There have been names that have been changed. So we're going to call this lady in the car with her brother, Steve, Maureen. Okay. And the plan had been for uh, Maureen and Karen to go to the cinema to see some Richard Burton film. But the Royal Canberra show was on that weekend. For anyone who doesn't know what, well, any show is, <laughs> a royal show <laughs> in Australia, it's where, and this is like 1971, so we, it was quite agricultural back then. Mm. So it had, you know, like prime sheep and uh, cattle. Oh, it sounds like and- the Lambeth Country Fair. In Brockwell Park. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And, you know, gherkins in jars and cakes and... Cupid dolls on a stick. Yeah, Dagwood dogs. Dagwood dogs. That's what Jen wanted when she was pregnant with my brother. Uh. All she wanted was a Cambridge show, Dagwood dog. <laughs> and there were rides and all sorts of things, you know, lots of amusements. And it's basically an amusement park with some agricultural exhibitions. The entry fee was 60 cents. But to go to the movies was 80 cents so they were like let's save 20 cents and we'll go to the Canberra show so they decided to ditch the movie and they went to the show at seven o'clock and they wandered around for an hour and a half before they'd had enough they probably had fairy floss which is my absolute favorite yeah and felt sick because you always do afterwards and maybe they went on the Gravitron who knows (laughs) but Karen dropped Maureen home at around 10 to 9 that night Then when Karen got home and she lived on that side of town, I believe they were in Downer. So pretty, pretty close. Downer again is a a suburb in Canberra. The northern suburbs, aren't they? Yeah, they're in the north on the outskirts of town really at that point. So when Karen got home, her mum was on the phone chatting to her sister and the sister said to Karen, come on, why don't you meet up with me and my fiancé? and another male friend because they were going out for drinks. So on the spur of the moment, Karen decided, yeah, I don't need to go to bed right now. I'll go out. So it was around nine o'clock. And in Canberra at the time, there was late night shopping on Friday night. 
So Karen jumped into her white mini minor and drove into Civic to meet her sister who just finished a shift right in the centre of, of Civic, which is the central part of Canberra. Um, she'd been working at a pharmacy. So the two sisters had a little chat, decided where they were going to go and eventually they agreed they'd go to the sister's fiancé's mate's place first in Woden Valley, which is about a 20-minute drive south of Civic. They're getting all over the place, aren't they? They're going left, right, north, south, central. Yeah, they're just driving everywhere. Have car, we'll go. And then after that, after they went to the mate's place, they were going to just go somewhere close to Woden for a drink the thing was Karen didn't really know where the friend lived so they agreed because you know this is some days before sat nav no sat nav no google maps nothing so they agreed that Karen would follow behind them in her car and just sort of follow behind but according to reports instead of waiting to follow the car her sister was in she drove off first huh yeah in the right direction to go over the Commonwealth Bridge, but it wasn't what they agreed. So the sister's car, like they just like jumped in the car and bombed bombed it after her yeah. um, to try and catch her up. The other thing that happened was that those who were in the car with the sister, so the sister's fiancé and the mate, they decided, oh, fuck it, let's not go all the way over to Woden. Let's just do something around this part of town. So they decided they would go to Dixon for a drink instead, which, you know, it was just a couple of suburbs away from where they were in Civic. Mm. So they just went like the clappers to try and overtake Karen so she could then follow them back into into right. town. Sounds mad. Yeah, I know. I don't know why Karen went first. It makes no sense. Was there somebody else in the car with her? No, she was on her own. And they finally managed to get Karen behind them. She eventually caught on that they were changing direction and obviously Mm. there'd been a change of plan. I don't know why they didn't just pull over and get Mm. Karen to like have a quick chat, but they didn't. They changed direction and they doubled back to go back over the Commonwealth Bridge Mm. and up Anzac Parade. But somehow while they were heading towards Dixon, they managed to lose sight of Karen in the rearview mirror. So she did at this point pull over onto a quiet street near one of the roundabouts called Rond Pond. They waited until they could catch sight of her car. And finally, they did see some lights, which they thought was Karen's mini minor. But this car went around the roundabout and headed off in the other direction and kept going in the direction of Queenbeyan, which is a satellite town on the outskirts of Canberra and sort of in the opposite direction to where they were heading to go to Dixon. And it just didn't make any sense. The sister thought that maybe Karen had the shits. She got the shits (laughs) and might have stormed off in a half (laughs) because there was a change of plans. So... The sister and the fiancé and the mate decided to head back to Karen's family's home in Downer because Karen okay. was still living with her parents yeah. and so was the sister. And they thought, oh, you know, she'll eventually go there. So they decided to wait for her there. So they just took off heading, like no drinks, no drinks at this point. They're all just heading home. The plans fell apart, basically. Yeah, the plans fell apart. And because this was the day before mobile phones, I mean... There wasn't even, in those days in Canberra, there weren't even telephone boxes on the side of the road, you know. No, I mean, you think about it, there was nothing to find a telephone box on one of those main routes. I guess. There wasn't anything like that. You sort of had to either go home or 
chance upon a phone box or maybe pull into a service station and hope for a phone box. But look, the thing is that that was the last time anyone ever saw Karen. She never made it home that night. So what did they do afterwards though? Did they, were they, they went home, did they, to see if they could find her after seeing her go round the roundabout? Yes. And they were just waiting for her. And then, you know, I don't really know what they thought had happened to her. But the following day, Karen's locked car was discovered on Parksway near Lake Burley Griffin. Locked? The fuel tank was empty. It was, she, she'd run out of petrol. Now, according to her brother Steve, Karen had filled up the car the day before. And he says mm-hmm. there was absolutely no way she'd used an entire tank of petrol. Because to do that, you would have had to drive to Sydney or beyond to use up a whole tank. That did not add up. But what we do know is that from the witness statements, from the time that people had come forward and said they potentially had seen Karen, what they say, and these these witnesses say, is that around 9.30pm on that Friday night, they'd seen the silhouette of a slim girl walking towards Civic. So that sort of adds up if the petrol had been drained from the car you know, or she'd had an empty fuel tank. So she'd locked the car. She thought, fuck, what am I going to do? I need to walk to Civic or a, a petrol station to try and get to a phone. Where the car had been found was a particularly remote spot. At that time, there was no residential development close by and no street lighting. I mean, it was kind of at the edge of Mount Ainsley towards Campbell and, you know, really undeveloped, a lot of scrubby bush. Okay. Yeah, I imagine she was probably trying to walk into Civic to either find a phone box to call her parents to come pick her up or she was hoping that maybe a taxi might pass her. Why would she be walking when she's got a full tank of petrol? No, she's got – no, the, there's no petrol in the car. The petrol's empty. Yeah, but she hasn't used all that petrol. But it's gone. The tank is empty. So was she, perhaps was she robbed? Well, this is one of the theories. It's like by Mad Max style bandits. Well, not robbed, but there are a lot of theories and we'll get to these at the end. But there there are some ideas about this petrol tank. Had yeah. somebody seen her at the Canberra show, thought she was, you know, attractive young girl, sabotaged the, the petrol right. tank, okay. emptied or maybe she'd just been a victim of theft and somebody had stolen petrol from her car. But either way, the fact that she'd had a full tank the day before and when the car was found, the petrol was empty. Yeah. There's no, to this day, there's no accounting for why that happened. Mm-hmm. But they do think that her petrol tank probably was the reason why she stopped and right. got out of the car, okay. locked the car and went walking. Yeah, the fact that the car so, is locked is a big thing, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And nothing nothing was stolen in the car. Oh, so, okay. yeah. And like I said about, you know, these taxis, back in Canberra those days, there were probably a lot fewer cabs on the road in general because the population of Canberra at that time was tiny in 1971. It was, I think, around 150,000 and Mm -hmm. spread over a massive distance. So The bush capital. The bush capital. There's more trees than people. And the thing is, if if that was her walking along the road that night, you know, she never made it to a phone box and she never called her parents. And 
I had read reports that said another car was seen in that area around that time, but there was nothing solid on that car. And I'm not sure to this day they've ever found out who was driving it because obviously this is back before CCTV existed everywhere. So the leads from that night are actually pretty thin on the ground, but once the, the family raised the alarm that she was missing, they did start searching for her and For months, they really continued searching and talking to potential witnesses and suspects, but it all led to nothing. And the leads went cold until three months later. And trigger here. This is. Oh, God, here we go. We've got some details. So, three months later, the skeletal remains of a woman covered in branches were found by a walker in the Fairburn Pine Forest. Where's that? It's between Canberra Airport and Queanbeyan. That's quite far out. It is quite far out, yes. And another trigger here, the body was so badly decomposed from the hot Canberra summer. Yes. Because February it's on our side of the world, it's summer and it's hot. And back then, Canberra was really hot, dry summers. Yeah. So her body was really decomposed and it was also reported that her body, which actually she was still wearing her dress, um, which was a floral dress, but it had faded so much to the point that it was almost unrecognisable. God. So she was left out in the open. Yeah. Covered in branches. And they said that she was eaten by foxes and ravens. Oh, God. Which meant that they could only at this point identify the body using dental records because dna wasn't in existence at that point in 71 i mean they could do fingerprinting but there were no fingers she was a skeleton yeah um you know just decomposed and and eaten eaten by animals and yeah the dental records did confirm that it was karen but look i read this weird thing that when they found the body her teeth were pink what yeah, and apparently this is a common post-mortem phenomena where teeth will take on a pinkish colour mm. if the body has undergone great trauma or carbon monoxide poisoning or asphyxia, either from drowning or suffocation. So those have an impact on the teeth and can make teeth turn pink in like in death. So really weird. So she had these pink teeth and look also when I was digging into this I found an article with a picture of the area near where she was found in the pine forest and this pine forest was really in its infancy I mean the trees are tiny and it looks dusty and scrubby so this maybe explains why her body was covered in branches because Mm -hmm. you know it was really sort of easy to see yeah it felt like her dress was faded then those branches weren't really covering her body very well at all not really and look I've also read reports to say that there was no evidence of sexual assault but how can they tell when it's just exactly the body was so badly decomposed and so little of it left that in all honesty they also can't rule it out either Mm. but in other reports it said that her dress had been pulled up, but she was still wearing her pants. Also, a girdle. She was wearing a girdle. A girdle? Yeah. like Which is like Spanx. Of kind the, of like Spanx, but yeah, like old, old school. Old school Spanx. So, you know, to like suck her in and, you know, give her a nice shape or whatever. 
but apparently the girdle and the pants were on in a weird order. Hmm? So you think they'd been taken off and she'd been redressed? Yes, this is part of the speculation. So again, no one really knows. But yeah, they, you know, there was so little for forensics to work with. So there is a real question mark around what had happened to her, you know, if she had been sexually assaulted. The family thinks yes, because otherwise, what's the motivation here, you know? But detectives um, at the time said that those who first arrived on the scene of the body were very surprised that Karen hadn't been found sooner because, you know, the area was really popular with bushwalkers. Mm. So, again, there's another potential question here. Yes, had the body been moved there from somewhere else? So, so many question marks around this case. But here's what we do know about Karen. Okay. So, she was 20 years old. She'd broken up with her fiancé four months earlier after, and this is really sad, the fiancé left her after he discovered she was pregnant. Oh. She was pregnant when she died. She was four months. Yeah. So even though they were engaged, dude wasn't into it and he left her. Apparently he really quickly took up with someone else, which by all accounts devastated Karen. But according to reports, she'd, decided to keep the baby and was actually really excited about it and so were the family and she had the full support of her parents which oh, you know in yeah. 1971 was a big deal to be a single mom yep. but before she'd reached that decision she'd had a bit of a nervous breakdown and she'd been seeing a doctor to treat her for nerves in I was going to say commerce. nervous breakdown Michelle is a very kind of old-fashioned expression isn't it? It is that's what they've said nervous breakdown treated for <laughs> nerves but she apparently was admitted to the M ward at Canberra Hospital. I think that means the mental ward. Okay, M for mental. Yeah, to get her over her, this kind of mental health hurdle. Okay. But according to her family and doctors, she was in great mental health at the time she went missing. And, oh, right. you know, she was planning for her future. She was really excited about the baby. And they absolutely categorically, and this is doctors as, as well, they say there was no way that, they, in their opinion, she took her own life or was running away. However, the question was raised at the coronial inquiry because, as I mentioned earlier, she'd been, she was like a bit of a skeleton. There was some flesh on the body, but her stomach and all her organs were gone. What? And there was no evidence of a fetus in oh. her remains. So when this yeah. was put to the court, they questioned whether or not. Had she had an abortion gone wrong? Was she trying to kill herself? But look, no. I don't really buy that because of the petrol in the tank. Her, if she had not run out of petrol, she would have like been following her sister or gone home or she would have gone to wherever for a drink. You know, she was planning to meet her sister and she was looking forward to having that baby. So mm. I'm not really into that theory, but they do flag that as being really strange because... You know, the three options they say for what happened to Karen were suicide, which I think is unlikely because there's no evidence right. at all for that. Strangulation, because strang did I say strangulation? Strangulation with the G. <laughs> strangulation. And they say that mainly because of the pink teeth. And also apparently, uh, when they were doing the post mortem, there was one bone from Karen's windpipe. That was literally the only bone in her body that was missing. Oh. 
That's the bit. Is that the bit that usually shows that they've been? It's the higher, higher something, hyalonic bone. It's not hyalonic, and it's usually the one that indicates that they've been strangled. Well, that was missing, which led them to think: was this murder this? or foul play? Yeah. And that, to me, sounds most and likely. Who would know to remove that? I mean, was this done mm. before she was skeleton, skeletal? Was the body or... moved? Who knows? Who knows? This is bizarre, Michelle. There's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. But what, But also what we know is that the police literally have no clue how she died or what happened right. to her or what the motive was or who is responsible. And to this day, 51 years later... Karen's case remains Canberra's oldest murder cold case because, like I said, you know, last year marked the 50th anniversary of her murder and the police reopened the investigation and they're still actively pursuing the case and asking the public for leads because when they did this last year, loads of fresh leads came to light. Really? Yeah. And I was reading this article where for 50 years this woman, who's now 70, She'd been holding a secret and last year she called the police and said, look, I need to tell you something from way back because when Karen went missing, she thought her ex-partner may have been involved because some of the things, and this is not reported why she thought her Mm -hmm. ex-partner was involved, but she said for 50 years she's been holding on to this fear and this secret that things that she knew and timings and whatever. So, you know, Mm. there are people coming forth with all sorts of things. So they are trying to actively, like, pursue this again. But as you can imagine, the ex-fiancé was, you know, prime suspect number one. But on the night Karen went missing, he had an alibi. And look, I've searched the internet for what that alibi was and I couldn't find it. But... Whatever he was doing apparently was watertight because the police checked it out and he was eliminated as a subject of or a suspect of concern then and he's also not now a suspect. So ex-fiancé is off the table. Okay. It was also reported that when Karen was at the Canberra show, she'd bought a bracelet for a friend and had it engraved with the name Lynette. And that she'd had it with her when she went missing. Now, when they found her body at the Pine Forest, they also found her handbag. And this bracelet was not in her handbag. So last year, the uh, police went to the Pine Forest and used, you know, all the latest in like metal detecting search equipment, combing the Pine Forest for where they found the body around there for this bracelet but they didn't find it and the reason they want to find this bracelet is because they think it could hold clues either to who may have done it or just to have confirmation whether or not it may have been taken by the killer as a trophy right so yeah and I wonder as well Michelle if they could dig up not dig up but you know have a look at the remains now reinvestigate DNA now that there's such a thing Possibly, but I had read that unfortunately a lot of the evidence that was found near her body in the pine forest, which was collected way back in 71, and we're talking things like her clothing, her handbag, everything inside her handbag, including her car keys, it wasn't properly stored. And they've tried to analyse all that stuff using the 
technology and techniques we have today, but it's just not possible because the evidence is is fucked. So that's been hindering any kind of DNA advancement. Maybe they would get more clues from the body, but... Yeah, unfortunately, they they fucked up with the evidence. Interestingly, there was a packet of cigarettes found in her handbag, which weren't hers. She doesn't smoke? No, no. So they are also, I mean, unfortunately, those cigarettes have not produced any clues. Maybe they'd been stored properly. Maybe Mm -hmm. it could have. But yeah, it's just, it's just really disappointing. But I mean, you think back to Canberra in 1971, this was probably the most serious murder that had happened at that point. Yeah. So these police were not – they weren't used to dealing with this kind of stuff. They didn't have a lot of experience. So, you know, it is what it is. But it, it is a real shame, unfortunately. Absolutely. I just want you guys to put a pin in this idea of the, the bracelet because I have a theory, my own personal theory about this, which I'll get to at the end. I was going to say, Michelle, I was waiting for you to bring up your own theory. <laughs> And I wondered if it was going to be aliens. Aliens took Karen. Oh, my God. No. Do you know what? I have a more sinister theory, but put a pin in that. Okay. Because, you know, obviously when at the beginning of this story, I talked about the sister had seen a car, which I thought was Karen, but it went round Mm -hmm. the roundabout and went the other way. So... It was widely reported that another car was seen by witnesses. Another white mini? No, in addition to Karen's car. Oh. Because we can't verify whether or not that car that went round the roundabout that the sister saw was indeed Karen or not. That has never been fully 100% corroborated. But surely, I mean, how many white minis were there? Were there a lot? Was it a, a very It's not about car the white the mini. They just what? saw headlights and assumed... Oh. But then oh, the headlights went around. So Oh, they didn't see the car itself. No. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. So that's never been corroborated whether or not it was Karen's Mini. But a lot of people who have come forward over the years have said that witnesses did see another car. Other witnesses say they had seen a young girl talking to someone in what looked like a dark coloured van, but it was late at night, so mm-hmm. a van who had stopped on the side of the road. Now, no one could remember what the number plate was, but all of these witnesses said it was a yellow and black number plate, which is a New South Wales number. New South Wales. Yes, New South Wales number plate rather than a blue and white ACT number plate. Okay. Now, we've talked a lot about Queen Bianne. Queen Bianne is technically New South Wales. New South Wales, yes, I know that. So, look, I don't know if there is any thing to this idea of a New South Wales number plate because again put a pin in this I also have Mm -hmm. some theories but the thing is that even though it's been widely accepted that there was another car that stopped that night no one has ever come forward to say oh I was the driver of that car and you know I was just on the way to pick up my grandma or whatever no one's put their hand up which is no one's put their hand up no okay There were also reports of people hearing a woman screaming near where Karen's car was found around the time she went missing. Also, there were reports of a girl running from a car outside Duntroon. And Duntroon is a Royal Military College, which is kind of reasonably close to Campbell, actually. So it's in that direction where... Coming out of town. Where her body was found. Towards Queenbeyan. Yes, You know, there have been these reports, but the woman 
who was screaming, uh, the woman who was meant to be running, and the driver of this mystery second car, again, they all remain unidentified and still are a bit of a mystery as to who these people were. Was it Karen? Was it not Karen? If not, no one's come forward to say, oh, look, that was actually me screaming, whatever, nothing. So, right. all dead So, ends. are you going to tell me, are you going to tell us what your theories are now, Michelle? Yes. All right. Strap in. Strap in. Hang on. Strap on. Yeah. No. Strap. <laughs> we're, not going, we're not having a strap on for this case, Geordie. Filthy girl. <laughs> Didn't sound right. So, all right. Strap yourself in for this one. That's it. Thank you. One of the lines of inquiry they are looking at is a person who is known to be in the area in 1971 in Canberra, also yeah. in Queen Bian, yeah, who had evaded any police kind of attention at the time. Yeah. So in 1971, Ivan Milat had been <gasps> released ah. from prison. Yes. After doing two stretches of time yeah. inside for theft. There you go. You've got it, Michelle. That's It was him. At the time. That he, makes sense. That makes sense. Just like the Yeti last week. Anyway. So at the time, Ivan Malak was 26 years old and he was living at his parents' house in Guildford in Western Sydney. But he was working for the State Metropolitan Water and Sewerage Board. And I read a report. He was a road worker as well, yes, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. Travels a lot. Yes. And look, I read a report that said at the time his boss had said Ivan Malat was the best, most hardworking, reliable employee and worker that they'd ever had. So it's always the quiet ones, you know. Yeah. You never you never can tell. But yeah. at that time, because of his work, he was up and down the roads between Liverpool and Canberra and reportedly was in Canberra at the time Karen went missing. Now, right. for anyone who doesn't know of Ivan Milat, he's the Australian serial killer who would pick up hitchhikers and murder them. He was known as the backpacker, backpacker murder, yeah. murderer. And he was eventually convicted of killing seven backpackers between 1989 and 1993. Mm-hmm. And he but would... it took them a while to pin it on him as well, didn't they? It? Yes, it did. Yeah. He's always looked good for it, but they were never able to pin him. No. Until eventually they did. But listen to this. When they did find a lot of these backpackers, because he dumped their bodies in the Belanglo State Forest, mm-hmm. he tried to conceal their bodies by covering them with branches. Right. So that MO is very similar right there to how, how they found Karen. Now, skip forward to Good Friday in April 1971. So this is a few months after Karen went missing, but before her body was found. Ivan Malat had picked up two female hitchhikers near Liverpool train station in Sydney. He pulled a knife on them, tied them up, Mm -hmm. and trigger warning here because it's quite disturbing. He had said to these girls, I'm going to kill you, and you won't scream when I cut your throats, will you? So he then raped one of the girls, but somehow the girls managed to convince him to go to a petrol station to buy some, you know, soft drinks. And one girl managed to flag to one of the dudes inside the petrol station cafe Mm -hmm. to help them. And the girls managed to escape and Ivan took off. But he was eventually arrested. And knowing that this is so weird, I didn't even know this bit coming up. Knowing that he was facing rape charges and two counts of armed robbery and more, he faked his own death. Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. 
He faked his own death by leaving his shoes at the Gap, which is a well-known cliff in Sydney, which is used as a suicide spot. Oh, God. However, later that year, the police discovered that Ivan Milat hadn't actually killed himself, but was living it up in New Zealand. Oh, was he now? Yeah, so he was arrested in New Zealand and extradited back to Australia. But somehow... He needn't have worried. He got, he got off the off, fucking rape yeah. charge and the robbery, robbery charges. He just went on with his life. But In look, those days, it was really bad. I think the women who were giving, and they were reluctantly gave evidence on over this very frightening man, yeah. having been through this ordeal. Yeah. I think it was turned around onto them and they were made out to seem like sex workers or you know, just not, not valid nice or girls. credible witnesses. Yeah. Bad girls, exactly. Bad girls. And do you know what? Like... As the trauma they must have gone through and like you said, the bravery to stand yeah. up in court and go through that whole harrowing story again only to not be believed. It's fucking yeah. shocking. And then when they found out what they found out later yeah. on. Yeah. You know, how they were like those were girls were lucky to to get away with their lives that night. Yeah. Anyway. Close encounters with, with yeah. Ivan Malat. But circling back to Karen, look, there there are a few things that indicate that Karen might have been one of Malat's first victims, if not his first. Wow. So the day after Karen went missing, so it's Saturday 27th of February, apparently Ivan Malat turned up for work. This was in Liverpool, which is possible to drive from the outside of near Canberra Airport to Liverpool. That's probably yeah. an hour and a half at that time of night bombing it, two hours max, right? He was bragging to his workmates. He'd killed someone. And buried them in the bush, buried the body in the bush. Now, some people say that he bragged that he killed a man. Other people say he bragged that he'd killed someone. But the workmates just sort of brushed it off at the time. Then when things came out about Ivan Malat, a few people had gone to the police and said, listen, we remember this. And they didn't know if it was connected, but it did get logged. Then, as I said before... It was known that Ivan Malat was in the Canberra area at the time and apparently he was driving a gold Ford which matched descriptions by some young women who were accosted by Ivan Malat a few days before Karen went missing in the Canberra area. So it's not the van that people say they saw but the van has never been corroborated as being connected to Karen not sure if there's a connection there. I read reports that Ivan Malat's brother had said to police, oh, listen, you know, I don't think Ivan killed this woman, Karen, because in in later life, police had gone to Ivan and said, did you kill Karen Rowlands, uh, Rowland? And, and he had said, no, nah, don't know what you're talking about. The brother had said, no, but maybe... And that there were heaps more bodies to be found. That was his word. There heaps were. more bodies to heaps be found. Heaps more bodies. And he was using that, I think, for leverage, I think, in prison as well. Yes, possibly. potentially. And he did keep a lot of trinkets and what do you call them? Souvenirs. Yes. From his victims. Ivan died in, in October 2019 in Long Bay Jail in Sydney. Uh, yeah. He was 74. He but, cancer, um, yeah, esophageal and stomach cancer. But he never admitted to Karen's murder. Now, I have a theory on this. Now, remember we talked about Karen went to the Canberra show and she bought this bracelet for Lynette. Some friends say that she was wearing it, Mm. wearing this bracelet um, so she wouldn't lose it. Yeah. Now, 
if he did take this as a trophy, he thinks he's murdered someone called Lynette. Yeah, that's a good Not point. Not Karen. So yeah. that's my th- that's one theory I have. Aside from aliens. <laughs> How many do you have, Michelle? No, no, that's my last theory. That's my last theory. Oh, okay. Is that and then the other one is aliens. It's aliens. Look, there seem to be a lot of similarities with Ivan Milat and how he killed people, um, covered up the bodies. And yes, if he did take this as a trinket, it would A, explain why that bracelet was never found. Yeah. And B, why he may not realise that the woman he killed was was Karen, not Lynette. So I don't know, but basically 50 years on, no one's any the wiser as to what happened to Karen. She would have been 70 this year. She just had her life so cruelly taken away from her and the baby too. So I'll just put it out here that, you know, the police have reopened this case. It is still an active investigation. Anyone who has any info or leads on this case, you can contact the ACT police. I'll put some links in the show notes. It might even be that you heard some hearsay or gossip from, you know, your old uncle or whatever it is. But, you know, all of these things can help piece together what happened and try and give this poor family some closure. So Yeah, absolutely. So that's the story of Karen Rowland. Well done, Michelle. Well done. That's an incredible roundup. And I particularly like your investigative, hang on, (laughs) investigative piecing together of the crime and... And then your theories made a lot of sense. My Malat. thoughts and theories. My thoughts and theories. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Apparently the family have said they don't want people to focus on the Ivan Milat angle right. because they think that overshadows everything right. else. And if it wasn't him, then the real killer is still out there. But quite yeah. frankly, for 50 years, that killer has been out there. If it wasn't yeah. Ivan Milat, who was in prison anyway, if uh. it was someone else... They kind of have got away with it, scot free. Yeah, so, but yeah. you know, the the police really are open to all lines of inquiry. So, I really Incredible. hope for the family's sake something something comes to light. Well, I had something else I wanted to tell you, Michelle, but we're not going to do it now because I think it's going to go into the extra droppings, extra which we're going to droppings. make. Yeah, on which we're going to make available on Patreon. Yes. I've got something interesting to tell you about a time traveler. Oh, goodness. And if me. that piques your interest, yeah. come and join us on Patreon slash eavesdropping. No G. Thank you. No G. <laughs> come and pop, pop a little coin in our tip jar and you can hear this episode of Extra Droppings. You can also have a look at some videos that we've done or a video that we've done so far. Yeah, I come mean, we've only look. just started. It's only been up for a week. So, you know, down the line, there will be more archive material. But at the moment, yeah, we've just got last week's extra droppings on Patreon. So there it is. And apologies for my sa- the sound of my voice this week. I've done my best to be upbeat. Oh, you sound had... great, even though you've got the COVID. the COVID. The COVID. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I hope you feel better, my love. And um, Yeah, me too. And just remember, wherever you are. Whatever you do, just don't stop eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, 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 e